welcome to another episode of To See or Not To See. I am your host, Grace Curley, and today I will be analysing and discussing my experience of one of the most important films ever made, La Dolce Vita, directed by Federico Fellini. This is the second part of the Dolce Vita episode in which I will be discussing Marcello's relationship with the women in this film, the feminine archetypes it perpetuates, and the biblical interpretations of such archetypes. I suggest that if you haven't yet, you go listen to that episode before embarking on this one. Stay tuned! So there are four women that serve as archetypes in Marcello's life. His suicidal, stickily dependent girlfriend Emma, whose one-sided love for him is terribly suffocating yet reliable. His lover, the nymphomaniac Maddalena, who has lost interest in everything except for sex. The beautiful American actress Silvia, whose frothy naivety and innocent yet overwhelming sex appeal enchants Marcello. And finally, an adolescent girl, Paola, he meets at a beach bar, who symbolises purity untouched innocence and renewal. Marcello has very different relationships with these women and each one symbolizes a part of himself that he does not want to claim or does not want to face. Emma and Madalena are deficient, desperate and complex, wildly human but in a way that seems manufactured and self-contained, like their sufferings and grievances are purely instruments that allow them to feel something, like their incongruence with the world is the only thing keeping them alive. They are earthbound, shallow, with the illusion of depth and ultimately parasitic. Marcello is not in love with either of them. His relationship with his girlfriend is widely codependent and toxic, with many ups and downs of fights, breakups, and desperate reunions. He does not even seem to like her much, although he cares for her when she attempts to commit suicide. However, while she is in hospital, he calls his mistress, Madalena, but she does not answer. In a final tumultuous fight, he calls Emma's love aggressive, sticky, and maternal, and that a man who accepts that is nothing, no better than a worm. I don't want it, it's no good to me, it's not love, it's suffocation, he yells, before throwing her out of the car, leaving her on the side of the road. Her accusations are equally accurate. You don't understand because you don't love anyone. You're an egoist with an empty, locked heart. You chase after women and think that's love. Yet after this fight, he drives back in the morning and picks her up. The episode ends with them asleep in bed together. Even after they recognised their doomed nature of their relationship, they also recognise that they can't live without it. Without that constancy, without that wretchedness, like a drug that numbs the senses. They will always suffer alone, and suffering in their minds together is always better. His relationship with Emma is one of ecology. They are both each other's host and parasite wherein one species is harmed while the other benefits, and vice versa. A relationship where they can only become more poisoned, yet will die if separated. Now, his relationship with his mistress, Madalena, is slightly different. They both want something more, but don't have the capacity or the strength to go through with it. She is his mirror, which is why he seeks her out once his girlfriend is in hospital. Madalena is not so much a comfort as a reassurance. Her presence validates his own. She is beautiful and rich, yet troubled by an overwhelming and unsolvable ennui. She says to him, Even Rome's a bore. I need an entirely new life. Only lovemaking gives me the right tension. Here she talks of lovemaking, as if it is something she does and understands. Yet that night, her and Marcello go to a prostitute's house and make love. 
love. Then the next morning they leave casually as if nothing happened. Justice for the prostitute. Sex is an activity carried out without love or emotion, serving as a short-lived distraction from the boredom of life. Despite her saying that lovemaking is the only thing that makes her feel anything, she has not experienced making love. She has experienced the domestic mechanics of sex, carrying it through with the same emotional detachment as she does everything else. Even her name, Madalena, is similar to the name Magdalena, as in Mary Magdalene. Magdalene too was a prostitute, before she became the symbol of devotion, repentance, and later on, divine feminine. Madalena represents the unrealized and unactualized Magdalene before Christ's influence. In direct contrast, Marcello meets the beautiful, busty American actress Sylvia, who makes every man chase her around in awe and wonder. When she runs up the towering stairs of St. Peter's, no man can follow her. She is the breath of triumph, liberation, and love of life that renders everyone around her, including her abusive, alcoholic husband Robert, into something impotent and defeated. When she dances, it is with unrestrained joy. Transcending the idea of beauty is just something to be seen and enjoyed, but restoring its supreme purpose as something to live. Yet Robert watches her with detached disdain. He and Marcello, more successfully, pull her into their orbit of repression than she pulls them into her orbit of liberation. The end of the dance also means the end of her freedom. Marcello follows her around Rome, ending with the iconic scene with both of them in the Trevi Fountain, where he runs his fingers over her face reverently and says, Tu sei tutto, Silvia. Tu sei la prima donna del primo giorno della creazione. La madre, la sorella, l'amante, l'amica, l'angelo, il diavolo, le terre, la casa. You are everything, everything. You are the first woman on the first day of creation. You are mother, sister, lover, friend, angel, devil, earth home. This scene can come across as just him being overwhelmingly infatuated with her, like everyone else, but here he correlates her with Eve, the first woman of creation. Eve was mother, sister, lover, friend, angel, devil, earth, and home. He says, on the first day of creation, meaning the original blueprint that God intended, before the temptation of knowledge and sin, before the decline of humankind, when all she and Adam knew was the beauty of life and God's love, untouched and unsullied. They are standing in an auspicious and allegorical place, a fountain, where people fling their wishes, sumptuous sculptures crafting a scene of abundance and salubrity with the god of the sea on a chariot. They are trespassing by being in the fountain and expressing something supposedly dirty like lust and desire. This is one of the contrasts of the holy with the unholy. Sylvia's childlike wonder is what draws Marcello to her, but it is also what makes him not consummate his desire. In this moment, Sylvia is too pure for Marcello to bring himself to Sully. When he expresses his adoration of her, likening her to God's image of divine feminine, it is a sentiment purely of adoration, not lust. He sees her as some symbolic archetype of the goddess, as the mother of mankind, not as something human or attainable. He sees her as a solution to his faithlessness, because in that moment she embodies the purity and perfection that Marcello maintains was God's original intention. <laughs> Every 
true thing he stumbles on, he eventually ignores it and smothers it, and it passes on, unacknowledged, as we never see Sylvia again after that night. Like every other brush with revelation, it doesn't quite reach that actualized peak where it could potentially turn into a conscious decision powered by action. Like every other little faith that sparks, it is put out before it can become a flame. Everything good and natural moves quickly through the night like a shadow, never to be touched and never to be seen again. Finally, there is the adolescent girl, his Umbrian angel, Paola. He meets her when he visits a beachside bar to attempt to write his infamous novel. She is a waitress there and asks him questions, fascinated by him. He, in turn, is fascinated by her youthful quality, her uncorrupted purity. He sees life in her the way he hasn't seen it anywhere or in anyone, a life that is born out of clean, fresh energy, not suffocating experience. This girl symbolizes innocence, purity, and renewal, the Madonna. So, in conclusion, Marcello's relationship with the women he encounters ranges from infectious disdain and dependency to distant worship. Emma and Madalena are earthbound women, false yet convoluted, while Sylvia and Paola are otherworldly yet simple, pure and untouchable. He doesn't treat these earthbound women very well, or as people to be cherished, because they remind him too much of himself, that disconnect, that aimlessness, that pathetic longing, that lack of sustained will. When he looks at them, he doesn't feel good, he feels like what he is, which is one of them. Marcello's deficiency and disconnect from real life leads to him projecting his desire for the goddess allegorical women to save him. He sees them almost as angels who can absolve him of sin and save him from this earthly wasteland. When he is with them, he feels hopeful, like there is a possibility that he can be renewed, cleansed and baptized by their sheer presence. Their very existence gives him hope at first, makes him feel strong again with the essence of true beauty and God by his side. But eventually, it's still leads him to the same place, hopelessness, because he knows that that innocence and wonder won't last. All things noble and true cannot survive in this world. And that is why he does not have a physical relationship with either of those women, as opposed to with Emma and Madalena. Even when he is so full of desire for Sylvia, he does not dare touch her for more than a reverent moment. He does not act on his fascination with Paola. Why? Because their cleanliness is too pure for human touch. He knows that once they are touched, they would be dirtied, that spark of renewal would be gone, they would be smeared from the dense, greedy, malnourished hands of the faithless, like piss on snow, a sculpture that must not be brought to life like in the myth of Pygmalion. In this case, the woman in the sculpture is immortal, beauty and divinity embalmed, ever powerful. If she were to be brought to life with a kiss or a touch, that swift grace would be rendered fallible and corruptible in a second, with the expediency that comes with mankind, with time. And even Sylvia has not retained her original essence of purity the same way that Paola, being a girl, does. She is still tainted by the violence of men, taken advantage of, yet with all that, she is still able to see the world as if seeing it for the first time. These archetypes of the female can also be interpreted with mythological and biblical imagery. In Marcello's eyes, Emma symbolizes death by suffocation, perpetual grief, and aggressive love. Biblically, she could be personified as Lilith, Adam's first wife before Eve that was cast out of Eden by God, once she would not be subservient to Adam, becoming a mother demon who causes impotence in men and infertility in women. Madalena could be personified as Mary Magdalene before Christ, sex without love 
love, trapped in a cyclic, temporal life without liberation or autonomy. Sylvia is Eve before Satan, the divine feminine made in God's image, and finally, the young girl as the Virgin Mary, Madonna, the exact representation of chastity, purity, and renewal. As you can see, Marcello only thinks of these women in relation to him. These women are symbols of women before man. Lilith, without Adam. Magdalene, before Christ. Eve, before Satan. The Virgin, without a male touch. Even though the way these women are, in Marcello's eyes, depends on the involvement of a man, only the two pure goddess archetypes actually benefit from the absence of him. This proves that Marcello is aware of man's nature, including his own, for destruction, defilement, and desecration. This also proves that Marcello is self-absorbed and self-involved, only seeing others through his own filtered perception. He doesn't see any of these women as people, he sees them as chimeric fixtures illuminating him, their only purpose to scare him out of complacency, to provide insight to his life when needed, to give him a glimmer of rousing hope, or to expose his soft underbelly when he doubts its existence. He can look at them from afar but never take part, and never care enough about them as individuals to pursue for longer than one day or night, only returning when he needs that particular service. He is afraid of them, most of all, because of what they bring out of him and what they might mean for him, threatening his solo journey for the sweet life without the baggage of real commitment or genuine care not rooted in codependency. So he needs these women, loves them, hates them, cares for them, doesn't give a shit about them, worships them, curses them, all for his own selfish reasons, because he needs them when he is experiencing one of these deficiencies, or some kind of emptiness. He needs someone who will be with him no matter what, someone he can be transient with without judgment, someone who can restore life in him, and someone who can remind him that there are still precious things on this earth. Of course, if you've listened to the previous episode, you know that Marcello gave up on these ideals after his full insemination into the turgid artery of Sisyphean dissipation that basically wiped out the use of these archetypes. At that point, Marcello had no dichotomy over which person is which, what makes them different, or what makes them useful. He can no longer be uncomfortable by the profound or the sentimental, touched by grace and beauty, or moved by rare virtue. He is a denizen of the womb of the barefooted and hungry, whose world has been narrowed down to the tingle of mild, lazy pulsations. This is the end of the La Dolce Vita episode, which I hope you enjoyed and that it expanded your view on this essential film. And if you haven't seen it yet, go see it. There is a reason it is named the most important film in the world, as I'm sure you've realized if you've listened to this to the end. Especially if you are a film student or want to work in filmmaking, definitely get into this film and Federico Fellini in general. It is also easy to get caught up in the aesthetic beauty of these kinds of films and miss the deeper, bigger meaning, which it is lovely to enjoy aesthetics, but most directors of culturally significant great films don't just go out of their way to portray meaning through frames and cinematography, which are very important, but also in the script and directorial choices such as symbolism, comparison, and reinforcement. So anyway, thank you for tuning in to another episode of To See or Not To See. I am your host, Grace Curley. What did you see or not see? That is the question.